I'm Bijan Karimi. Welcome to The Reflecting Pool, where I discuss thesis research being done by CHDS students, how the topic relates to the broader Homeland Security Enterprise, and what it's like to be part of the master's program. David Flam is the Deputy Director of Emergency Management for Santa Clara County's Office of Emergency Services, right in the heart of Silicon Valley. He's been an emergency manager for 17 years, starting out in the United States Air Force, studied hazard mitigation planning in graduate school, completed the California Peace Officers Training, and then joined the Santa Barbara Office of Emergency Management. And while there, he helped coordinate the countywide response to several fires and a large oil spill, giving him firsthand experience with multi-agency emergency response. David came to CHDS with a self-prescribed counterculture perspective of how emergency management fit into Homeland Security, but he wanted to explore that issue in greater detail with other practitioners across the enterprise. We met in Santianez, California, which is only a few miles from where he used to play guitar on the weekends while in college. David talks about the importance of definitions, particularly when related to incident roles. However, he also recognizes the challenges in developing common definitions across the entire Homeland Security enterprise, and that there may be some inherent benefits that come with fluidity. You start your thesis, you begin by saying that incident management is a sense-making tool, and it allows practitioners to organize and act collaboratively. So in its current form, incident management is under-encompassing, and you say that it creates an identity crisis for emergency managers. What did you mean by that? The National Incident Management System is the system ideally designed to create the ability for consistency in how we do business, how we understand our world collectively as emergency responders, so that we can respond nationwide. Incident management is fine. People are responding to incidents just fine. And, and I, I said that to be a little bit... Um, you know, to rattle people's cages a little bit. I think most people wearing a badge are going to be like, no way, I, I know how to do my job. This, this guy is telling me that we're all messed up. What I'm really getting at is not that we're not responding well to incidents. What I'm getting at is that the doctrine that is out there that defines how we do this thing collaboratively amongst our various disciplines within incident management is not well-defined. I think there's a lot of gaps. I think that there, people can pick and choose. I think there's a lot of philosophical, conceptual elements that are just missing. NIMS was supposed to create this perfect world of interoperability. And in reality, it's created some confusion with such large gaps in the doctrine. It's left a lot of areas for potential friction or lack of efficiency or efficacy. You get philosophical about incident management and you ask the question, is it the idea of incident management? Is that flawed? Or is it the understanding of the idea that's flawed? How would you answer your own question? One of the things that I saw in my practitioner interviews was something I, I hadn't anticipated. I was certain that people were going to tell me, yeah, Dave, we agree with you. The doctrine's all messed up. What I found was it was actually about half and half. Half the people felt that the doctrine was a mess. The other half of the practitioners I interviewed felt the opposite. They felt that the doctrine was perfectly fine the way it is. And the problem is that people were not interpreting it correctly and not applying it correctly. But if the doctrine is written in such a way that people are able to misinterpret it or not understand it well enough to apply it effectively, that tells me that the doctrine is not written well enough, that it's not granular enough to be prescriptive enough 
for anyone applying it consistently, have those consistent paradigms instead of all these very conflicting paradigms. So you went in with an initial concept that people would sort of see it your way. It yeah. turns out, hey, half the people, no, they're, they're actually okay with it. What other insights did you get from those series of interviews? A good portion of people felt like doctrine was not lacking or, you know, like I said, half and half. There were other things too. I was really surprised to see when I asked people what the primary sources of doctrine that were guiding them in success, the number of sources that people were saying were the Bible for them. There was a ton and some I'd never even heard of. It was very validating for me in my problem statement and recognizing that people aren't even looking to the same doctrine in this thing that we're supposed to be doing collaboratively and collectively, aren't even looking to the same sources for the information. Some folks weren't even familiar with the primary guiding documents that other folks were pointing to. So hearing all these sometimes conflicting points of view, you did your research and you go out and propose a new model for incident management. So describe what your model is and how is this going to fix the problems that you just talked about? This is actually, uh, I'm going to be able to thread a little bit back to the previous question of what were some of the interesting things I found in interviewing practitioners. There was a very, very validating agreement from almost everyone I interviewed that there was a lack of descriptive delineation in all of the doctrine that's out there between the incident management support structures and then the field where tactical things happen. There was a lot of area for potential misunderstanding and confusion about who had responsibility for tactical things versus who had responsibility for support and coordination and interstices of those, of those two things. What I found was, regardless of who I interviewed, there was a pretty large agreement that tactical stuff was understood quite well. Coordination and support was actually understood quite well, but the control of assets, the operational movement of assets amongst various incidents, the big question, and everyone agreed to this, was what role and what authority should the EOC have in moving and arbitrating those field response assets versus the people at the scene? Incident commanders, as I've generally found, don't want the EOC dictating how much of their response assets they're going to get. They want that coming from dispatch centers or department operations centers. Well, interestingly, department operations centers and the operational movement of resources outside of the incident scene is not well discussed or defined in the current incident management literature. They talk a lot about ICS and how they control things at the scene and what you do with assets once they've arrived at the staging area and how you apply them to your event. There's a lot of talk about emergency management's role in coordinating assets, but there's a huge lack of definition in what happens with those assets outside of that incident scene. The concept of operational control of assets versus tactical or strategic coordination, that's one of the things that my model addresses pretty heavily. The role of department operation centers as an intermediary between the incident command system and the EOC structures is highly defined in my model. And it's something that is much needed and seem to be highly intuitive. When you talk about DOCs, people talk about them as if they're fairly common. And yet there is not a lot of literature or guidance on how to build them, what their roles and responsibilities are, why they're needed, who needs them, what types of disciplines need them, and how they look. One of the other major issues is just like I said here at the beginning, and when I talk about incidents versus event or disasters, right off the bat, if I'm talking to an entire room of emergency managers or incident managers, 
there's going to be some heartache or some disagreement on the definition of incident, or that's not how we use it. Or what's the difference between incident management, emergency management, and crisis management? Are those different things? When I built my model, I set a list of rules saying, okay, if I'm going to build a new incident management conceptual model, it has to do these things. And I had a list of 10 rules, uh, which are listed in my thesis. And those rules say that I have to be willing to delineate between the, the actors within incident management, the practitioner types, the event types, the phases, the you know, roles and responsibilities, the different operation centers or centers, you know, from the incident command post up to the EOC and beyond, and then justify those. And that's one of the things that I think my model does really well is after each one of my definitions, I put a justification after my definition saying, this is why I defined it this way. This was the logic behind it, whether it was because there's a, a gap in understanding from previous things that need to be addressed, or whether it was because I had found something in my literature review that I thought was really, really good that had not been indoctrinated into our current extant literature. One of those things was crisis management. Crisis has not been well addressed within incident management. It's well documented within the prevention protection world, but that hasn't folded into incident management very well. I think there's a lot of confusion about what crisis means. I went through a lot of those definitions and the models of outlining what crisis means, and I found some really good ways of applying that to the world of incident management, specifically to the role of DOCs and the role of using resources to prevent the escalation of a current phenomena or trend from turning into an incident. So I applied that concept to the term crisis management implemented it into the incident management doctrine through my model to apply specifically to DOCs, go out of my way to say that's not what EOCs do because we don't have authority or direct control, operational or tactical control over assets and resources. So we actually don't have the ability to manage crisis that's done at the DOC, at the DOC level. You have your model, you've set it up, but no model is going to be worth its salt unless it's actually applied to something in some environment. You look at four different case studies. So take me through one of the case studies you did with your new model and how it could have been done differently. Once I created the model, I then needed to quality control that model and say, okay, now let's test this. So I looked at the Boston Marathon bombing, Hurricane Sandy, Ebola, Deepwater Horizon. Then I applied it to each of those, my model to after action reports from each of those events. And I identified areas in the after actions where there were findings where they said, oh, you know, we could have done this better, or this was an area that we still have continued weakness or, or flaws in. I hate the whole hindsight's 2020, but this was a necessary step for me to apply my model to these, these different things. And I looked to my model to see how, if my model had been implemented, if it would have solved those issues. For Hurricane Sandy, as an example, you know, FEMA had at least at the time, a lot of different deployment models they would use. And because of that, there were a lot of inefficiencies that ended up happening because people were forced to be familiar with so many potential types of organizational models and structures. It wasn't intuitive. It, it was built on the organizational needs of FEMA and not on a standard philosophical agreement of what incident management needs to be flexibly. For Ebola, not being able to properly identify, define the event type, whether it was an incident, a disaster, a catastrophe, 
And whether you had an incident commander or whether you had coordination, and there was a lot of issues with just the lexicon of how we talked about that event that made it confusing about how we were going to manage it. Deepwater Horizon, I talk about things about that event that for me as an incident manager were a little bit confusing. We had a incident commander who was nowhere near the incident. Terms and concepts like area commander that were not used or you had escalating titles that were mixed around. And I don't think that helped people understand kind of the gravity of different people's positions. I applied my model to, you know, the definitions of practitioners and the people and, you know, large scale incident to that event and specifically point out, you know, incident commander needs to be titled that because of certain specific roles and responsibilities they have over the scene, over site control, the Boston Marathon bombing. There were some really phenomenal things about the way that event was managed. You know, concepts about unified command and these kind of broad ICS terms and concepts in looking at how they transition from the field to support structures. I don't know that that was as properly delineated as it could have been or as it might have been under a different model. So going through these various events, I was able to apply my model and say, oh yeah, if we were using this model, intuitively, incident managers at the lowest level, people coming right out of the academy, if they were given the uniform training, then they would, from the outset of any type of event or incident, be able to look at it through a very, at least a much more common and similar paradigm lens. I think in almost every one of your answers, you've talked about definitions. Definitional fidelity is obviously something that's at issue. You looked at 72 independent definitions of the term disaster which was phenomenal to me. How did that analysis, that learning, inform your thesis conclusions and recommendations? First, I have to give a shout out to Dr. Wayne Blanchard, who I've never had the privilege to meet. So he had Guide to Emergency Management and Related Terms, Definitions, Concepts, Acronyms, Organizations, Programs, Guidance, Executive Orders, and Legislation. He pulled this list together in 2008, and I want to say it's a 1,200-page encyclopedia maybe or compendium yeah compendium of terms related to you know incident management or emergency management and there was just thousands and thousands and thousands of definitions in there and you'd come to a single term like risk management for example and you would find hundreds of different definitions of risk management so the first thing i did was i i leaned on his work and then i just added to it i went out and found and any other potential definitions that he might have missed And I went specifically to the terms that I had used for my model and said, okay, well, I need to go find all of the existing definitions for all those terms, inclusive of Dr. Blanchard's and any other ones that I can find. And I need to really look at the definitions that are out there and and where there's differences and gaps and what's going on here. And again, I found my problem statement validated in that you can define so many things in so many different ways, especially when you step into the political arena. A lot of the definitions that I found were definitions that were used by politicians in political environments for the purposes of their oratory at the time. One of the things that it allowed me to see is the problem of trying to unify definitions. And I don't know that we can ever do that. I I think that there will always be several definitions of risk or crisis. I think that's always going to be true. But I think that we as incident management practitioners, I think we need to come to terms on what we are going to agree upon as far as our list of definitions or lexicon. We need to be trying to unify our paradigms so that we can be more effective and efficient in our response. But in the time of an event, we can't afford to have 
such great disparity and gaps in the way we talk about what it is we do. I recognize that the definitions and terms and unifying us on this is a lofty goal and somewhat unrealistic in saying that we're going to have just this uniform set of definitions. But if we can agree that our guiding doctrine will have uniform definitions for the purpose of training and uniformity in operations, I think that that's a noble endeavor. And I think it's one we should be seeking. So Dr. Blanchard, almost 10 years ago, put that 1,500-page compendium together. We still don't have that definitional fidelity that we talked about. You are now introducing your own concept. What are some of the issues you see with actually implementing what you're proposing? You applied the model, but now what about actually seeing it go up? The federal government's got this thing called NIMS. And NIMS is great as, a, as an idea because it's trying to do the same thing that I'm trying to do with my conceptual model. Unfortunately, it's not the end-all be-all of incident management doctrine and guidance. It references a lot of other doctrine and guidance. There's a lot of other frameworks that need to be understood to effectively apply NIMS. There's all sorts of... ICS has to be understood. In California, we have to understand SEMS. There's all these different levels of things that make NIMS work. So NIMS isn't necessarily a comprehensive model. It is the baseline for... You know, here's where you start, and then you look at all this other stuff. The hurdles I see to implementing what I have in this model is that the reason why NIMS came to be, not the reason why it came to be, but how it comes to be and how it, how it comes to be updated every so often, is that there's all these various agencies and groups that are each contributing their small part to the incident management doctrine and lexicon and guidance that's out there. The FBI contributes their part by writing maybe the I don't know, the protection or prevention framework. FEMA will write the uh, larger response framework maybe, and they'll get guidance from folks here and there. And all these different agencies are contributing their parts. Well, what ends up happening is you end up getting a hodgepodge and the definitions are not uniform when when you put all these pieces together. I'm looking at a painting on your wall here. If I were to turn that into a puzzle, I I would get a whole picture first and then I would carve it into pieces that are then used to be put together into a whole picture. The way we have built incident management is we didn't start from a whole picture. We told people what picture we want and then told 80 different people to build a specific puzzle piece for that, for that large picture. And there's a big problem with the tableau we've created. So what I try to do with my conceptual model is say, I need to define everything. I need to define the entire picture first. And then we can carve that up and give it to people and prescribe to them where they fit into the puzzle. The hurdle I see in implementing my model is that it takes out the whole community planning process. It loses the buy-in of allowing agencies and organizations and disciplines to have their, their say into it. So if you try to implement this wholesale, what's going to end up happening is, yeah, okay, here's a great picture, but that's not the puzzle piece I want. No, I want this other puzzle piece, or I need three puzzle pieces. These are the three puzzle pieces I need. So I think there's inherently going to be a problem with people being told what the picture is going to be and which puzzle pieces they get without being allowed to build some of those puzzle pieces themselves. I think if there was a a well-designed planning process that allowed people to come to conclusions collectively to build that whole picture and allow them to, to the Socratic method, come to the truths that I think that I found through my model, I think it could potentially happen. But ultimately what's flawed right now is that all the planning processes are happening in silos and they're not happening 
collectively with that whole picture in mind. So yeah, I think I think it could be implemented. I think if it's not done just right, it could be a it could major crash and burn. You took on a huge topic and you cited a, a couple resources that, that were helpful to you. What classes in particular or individuals really helped you bring this concept that you had when you first came to CHDS forward to your thesis? I wouldn't point to any one class at CHDS. What was particularly helpful for me was having the differences in practitioners in the course because I was challenged to have to defend the value of emergency management. And what I recognized is, was that I needed to write a thesis that defined my role, not just as an emergency manager, but my role as an emergency manager within this larger enterprise, because we all are working together. So what would you say to a prospective applicant who's looking at the program? You're in for a lot of work. You're in for a lot of reward. You're in for a lot of great, phenomenal conversation that will last years after you've graduated the program. And you'll get to spend some phenomenal time at what I like to call the Hogwarts of Homeland Security. David left me with these parting words. I found my elevator pitch for emergency management. Every department in local government or state government or federal government, or really even in a private agency, their role is to reduce some exposure to risk. Fire departments reduce the exposure to risk of wildfires, structure fires, Law enforcement agencies reduce the exposure to risk to civil disorder and crime. Finance agencies reduce the exposure to risk of poor money management. Planning departments reduce the exposure to risk of poor land use planning. Emergency management and emergency management offices, exposure to risk that they reduce, risk of poor interoperability. We are there to ensure people can communicate and collaborate and coordinate together effectively. And there is massive value in that, not just in the response phase, but in the response, recovery, preparedness, mitigation, all the phases. I hope you've enjoyed hearing about David Flam's thesis, a new model for understanding incident management. For more information on this research, visit the Homeland Security Digital Library and search for a new model for incident management. CHDS is the nation's Homeland Security educator and part of the Naval Postgraduate School in Monterey, California. Since 2002, CHDS has provided a neutral educational forum where current and future Homeland Security leaders discuss policies, strategies, and programs needed to counter terrorism and handle catastrophic events. For information on the master's, executive leadership, or other academic programs, visit chds.us.